Hey, Shanna, did you know that you can purchase audiobooks directly from your local bookstore? Yes. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But with Libro FM, you get to search up your local indie bookstore and support them instead. And if you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to squeeze more reading into your busy life. I constantly have a book in my ear because cleaning the house or exercising is so much more fun while reading. Sign up for Libro.fm and use the code GOODBOOKS to get two books instead of one for the price of your first month's membership. Good books. Good books. Hello, and welcome to the Best Book Club Podcast. I'm Shanna. And I'm Jen. And this week, we are going to be talking about women's tropes in fiction. But first, how are you, Jen? I am just fine. (laughs) Oh, I can tell. (laughs) Just fine. What are you reading? Okay, so I started reading a book that you have recommended quite a few times. Ooh, that could be so many things. <laughs> so many. Um, it's The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Woo! Woo! So I started listening to it on audio, and it was going really well. Well, I was really enjoying it. And you mentioned it a while ago because you said that while you were reading Cerulean Sea, you were getting like real Douglas Adams vibes. Yes. And so while I was listening to it, like I could 100% see what you were talking about. As I'm listening to the beginning of the story, it, sometimes it was kind of like I was seeing both stories kind of like running parallel to each other. There were so many kind of similarities in, in the feel and just in the story. Right? I felt like it had such strong Douglas Adams, yeah, vibes through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the way that he writes it's almost cartoony. Yeah. And oh, I loved that about it. So I, I mean, I actually I tweeted TJ Clune to ask if he had read that book. Definitely had. And he uh, didn't respond. Okay. <laughs> if he if he responds eventually, I'll let you guys know. But for now, he's ignoring me. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> but um, I actually stopped listening to it because Uh, I listen a lot when I'm working or getting ready or cleaning or whatever, and usually I'm pretty good at multitasking, but the story is so absurd (laughs) that I found myself just getting lost and having to go back so many times because it would be like, he was standing there doing nothing, and suddenly there was a couch floating in the air by his head, and I was like, wait, what is he doing that this would be happening to him? And and I'd have to go back. It wasn't Uh, really doing anything special. (laughs) No, no, the the spaceship just does that. (laughs) Yeah, so I kept having to go back and and re-listen, and then eventually I just decided to scrap the audio, and I'm just going to pick up the physical copy and still read it. Nice. But the audio, I I don't think I can multitask that one. (laughs) What about you? How are you? What are you reading? Oh, well, you know, um, I'm fine. I'm just fine. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're all we're all just fine. <laughs> uh, you know, it's this month is the COVID anniversary, and I don't know. I feel like I've just hit a wall. It's not one we want to celebrate. No, it sucks. No, yeah. So, and unfortunately, on top of it, I've been in a reading slump. I just uh, things have been hard. I am physically and mentally and emotionally tapped out. So reading has been so, so hard. 
I can't even read Discworld. That's so sad. I know. But, so it seems like everything I'm trying to read, I'm just completely glossing over until I have to quit. Even audiobooks are taking me, like, usually I'll finish one in a few days. It's like two weeks and I finish an eight-hour audiobook. Like, what is happening to me? But I'll get over it. It's fine. What I am reading right now, though, is Agatha Christie because she is old trusty. I love her. I love a cozy mystery. There can be bad things happening, but they're not, like, super bad or violent. And it's not set in the now times. (laughs) It's set way in the past. So that helps, too. I'm reading uh, her very first book, The Mysterious Affair at Styles. Ah, cool. Yeah, so I'm liking that so far. It's been going slowly, but yeah, I really can't go wrong with Mrs. Christie. No, I've been really wanting to pick up one of her books just because you talk about her quite a lot. (laughs) And I just have so many freaking books to read. Yeah. And that's obviously not a bad thing because this is what we do. But I have too many books to read, not enough time. I, I'm dying here. I'm dying. I'm drowning in books. Drowning in a TBR pile. Yeah. Yes. I feel you. Especially when I've got so many good books around me and I just like can't read them right now. But I definitely have um, recommendations when you do get around to Christy. Okay, cool. I'll ask you. <laughs> March is Women's History Month, so you guys may notice that we are spending a little bit more time talking about women in literature, women's issues, and female authors. Today, we are going to be focusing on some of the popular, well, mostly unpopular, but popular because they're used to so much, Yeah, but unpopular because they kind of suck a lot of the time. Uh, female story and character tropes. So we've talked about some general literary tropes in one of our previous episodes. So if you want to know what we said, go listen to it. So fun fact, when I googled female character tropes, the top result said 10 female character tropes that we hate. And then I googled male character tropes because, of course, and it said three male character tropes we hate. So, I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, that's interesting, but also... Literally not surprising at all. Yeah. Honestly, there are so many different types of women, and there are definitely women that fit into these tropes. And I do enjoy these kinds of stories and these kinds of characters, mostly because I like things that are ridiculous and over the top, which is how these are usually (laughs) done. Uh, But I think the problem is that the common female tropes almost always focus on how the women look and perpetuates that their appearance is what gives them worth or reduces their worth. And then the other side focuses on and demeans the emotions that women have, exaggerating them to the extreme and a lot of time giving them a twist of mental illness. Yes, I spent a bunch of time earlier reading about hysteria back when that was a woman's disease. (laughs) And oh, I went so far down that rabbit hole. I said, no, I can't even start talking about this. It'll be the hysteria episode. (laughs) Um, Also, the motivations of these women in these tropes are usually that they want a man so bad and are driven to madness when the man rejects them, or there is seemingly no motivation at all. This is just how Mm. women are. Crazy. (sighs) 
hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and did you know women can be more than one thing? What? I know. <laughs> but our stories and actions are usually motivated by quite a few things. So when we're portrayed as being so one-dimensional and without depth or reason, it's not cool. Not cool at all. Uh, we've said before that tropes don't have to be a bad thing. They are a really important part of storytelling. And again, it just comes down to the depth and skill of writing. They can be done really well, and they can also be done really poorly. And just a little recap, the way that we're using the word trope is for describing commonly recurring literary and rhetorical devices, motifs, or cliches in creative works. Exactly. Um, so we've picked out just a few of the common ones, but there are literally hundreds of variations. Mm -hmm. We could go on all day, but we try to keep it under an hour. So here we go. Okay. First, I just want to bundle a bunch of types of women together. The damsel in distress, the girl next door, the femme fatale, the manic pixie dream girl, and the tough female protagonist. Yeah, these are common female characters shown in all types of media. And while the rest of the tropes we'll be talking about are more situational, these are about the actual women themselves. And the thing is that I don't actually hate these tropes in themselves. I love a femme fatale and a tough female protagonist. I just don't like them to be bland and predictable. Yeah, exactly. They have to have some depth and not be completely defined by this one thing they are described as being. Like the manic pixie dream girl, the girl next door, and the damsel in distress are the ones from this list that I find are usually more problematic than not. And not because they couldn't be great characters. I actually really like a manic pixie. It's the dream girl that I'm less crazy about. Mostly because these characters almost always exclusively exist as an obstacle or an object to propel a male character's story. <laughs> as a result, these women become more akin to objects than to people. And no, no, no. <laughs> but yes, I do also love a lot of characters that fall into these tropes. But man, they can be done in such an offensive way sometimes. Oh, I, I will chuck a book. <laughs> yeah. uh, writing women badly is just so tired. Really kind of like Walter Tevis writing the character of Beth as a <laughs> robot who is good at chess and bleeds. Who needs more than that in their women? You know, surprisingly yeah. few writers. <laughs> And all of these can be done really, really well. They just require a twist on tradition. Fiona from Shrek is an example of one of my favorite damsels in distress, because her character does more than just sit in a tower and act as the prize, even though that's the story that she's telling at the start. And I know that Shrek isn't a book, but I'm tired. Forgive me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also forgive me for many more constant movie references. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, to be fair, you've seen any movies. One of the last movies I saw was Shrek. Like, oh, this is a uh, a book podcast. But let me Yeah, it would be good if like I read any books recently. <laughs> okay, so the next one on our list is women who are defined by their womb. So, all women. 
Yes, all women. (laughs) Um, So will they or won't they have children and what happens to their worth either way? You can either have a really loving Mother Earth type or the horrible monster mom, or you have the hard-driven career type who doesn't want children. Because obviously, you can't be a little bit of everything. You have to choose just one. Pick a door, Jen. And that's it. That's your door. That's all you get. (laughs) Uh, So... I guess, disclaimer, we're both mothers, and so I enjoy reading about mothers, because I am one. Yes, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, the reality of motherhood is not especially glamorous, and I do understand these sensationalized depictions, because a story is being told, and motherhood can be incredibly lonely, it is tiring, It is joy and sadness and worry. It's simultaneously fulfilling and draining. And it's kind of like Groundhog Day. Especially lately. COVID has turned motherhood into (laughs) one really long repeating day. Right. (laughs) I always say that time during COVID is going both incredibly fast and incredibly slow. (sighs) The days are really long. Everything else is fast. It's bizarre. Yeah, it's very, very weird. I think probably having little tiny kids during this too is warping time. Yeah. Um, But basically being a mother is both the absolute worst and the absolute best. Mm -hmm. And speaking of my movie references, (laughs) there is a quote that we use quite often in my house. And I can't remember what movie it's from, but there is a scene where they're basically describing being a parent and what it's like. And it goes, it's awful, awful, awful. And then something incredible happens. And then it's awful, awful, awful. And then something incredible happens again, which I think pretty much sums up parenting for me most of the time. Yeah, no, I feel you. (laughs) So... Yeah, finding the mothers who are completely over the top in one way or another will make them more interesting characters on paper. Because, I mean, a memoir about me waking my kids up every day, getting them dressed, feeding them, napping them, repeat forever, (laughs) isn't super exciting. No, that'd be pretty boring. (laughs) Not gonna lie. And it's just, it's so strange that something as incredibly complex as motherhood can be so often turned into something one-dimensional. And there are such huge expectations put on women to have children, and if or when they do, to somehow do it perfectly and effortlessly. I know I make it look easy, but trust me, it's a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) So at least mothers should have the decency to make it appear this easy. I am aggressively rolling my eyes in case it hasn't come through in my voice. (laughs) I can see you. It (laughs) coming through to me. Um, But yeah, it can be so refreshing and validating to see and read about women who aren't doing it perfect because that is the reality that most of the time we don't get to see very often. But yeah, Honestly, I love books about mothers of all kinds, because I can completely relate to pretty much anything they're putting down. 
There are some examples that I can think of where the mothers are done very well in the way that they have brains and complex thoughts, histories, and emotions. Most recently, for me, the mothers in Beartown. Somehow, Frederick Backman nailed the constant internal struggle we as mothers or parents have at least I have, about what it means to be a good mom and also the constant fear that I'm doing literally everything wrong. Whew. Yep. Right? <laughs> um, the other one I can think of is uh, Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng and also Anxious People by Frederick Backman too. I mean, I'm a complete sucker for these books. Yeah, hard agree on those examples. Backman is so excellent at characters, and his mothers are so wonderfully done. Even, I can't remember her name, but the mom in A Man Called Uwe. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, you know who I'm talking I about. I know, I know. I think all of his mothers have actually been done really, really well, and yeah. they're all so different. He's not just recycling the same mom over and over. No, and they're not perfect either. Like, they are very flawed mothers, Yeah, but that's super realistic. Yeah. Oh, I love him so much. So much. And Ng also creates complex and interesting characters, and she focuses on motherhood. Like, her books tend to revolve around families, mm -hmm. and so the mothers play a big role in her stories. And I just appreciate it so much when mothers are more than just a means to enter the world. Right? We're so much more than that. Yeah, or just a villain yeah. <laughs> to make the yeah. character evil. That, I did that in my book that I'm writing. Well, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It makes sense. You know, sometimes sometimes it does make sense. I think it's just when it's done the same over and over and over again. Yeah, true story. You know, I'm sure yours is fantastic. One day when I'm reading reviews from people who were allowed to read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So anyways... We've also got a lot of kind of dystopian books where women are enslaved because of their ability to have children. And that becomes their only reason for existing, to bear children. And the other message in these stories is that women who can't have children have no worth, which also sucks, right? This message is so damaging to the women who decide not to have children, and especially for the women who find themselves in the situation of wanting them, but being unable to have them for whatever reason. And it's not to say that these stories shouldn't exist, but it would be really great to see a better balance of women who aren't mothers, and that doesn't define them. Or imagine this, a woman who at no point is asked whether or not she has or wants children. I know. It's a wild idea, right? <laughs> um, but there are two books that I am thinking of that I've read in the last few years. I mean, obviously, we have A Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, and then also Future Home of the Living God by Louise Erdrich. Erdrich, I believe. Yeah. Erdrich. I think that Atwood definitely did it better in this case. But in these books, we've got women who are being oppressed in a society run by men. And it's about how they try to fight back against it. So I love that. There is a purpose. And even though like the women in Gilead are all meant to appear the exact same, they are still written to have different personalities and voices. I wish I could remember more details of Future Home of the Living God. We read it for book club about a year ago. And I know that it wasn't a favorite for anybody, but I can't really remember exactly why. And I will correct you in that you read it for book club, 
because oh, yeah. this is the only book club book that I skipped out on intentionally. I read the synopsis and I was in my first trimester with my daughter. Everything about it sounded super upsetting to me. And I actually had to get rid of the book because every time I even look at the cover, I feel that first trimester nausea. It just, I don't know, me and this book, we will never the two shall meet. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, it's funny because you've told that story so many times to like so many people in my in my presence that you had a different cover than I did. So whenever I see pictures of your cover, I also feel sick. <laughs> yeah, you should. It's a disgusting cover. <laughs> yeah, so gross. <laughs> um, but I know that I really liked the idea of the story, which was I think that babies were starting to be born, I think less and less evolved. And the amount of women who were able to give birth to healthy babies was dwindling. So all women were pretty much being captured and impregnated to see if they would give birth to a healthy child, which I say that I really like the idea of the story, which sounds horrible. That doesn't sound like a nice story at all. No, it sounded but, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I did. I liked the idea of it. But the month that we read this, I was actually starting our IVF journey. And I had just had my eggs harvested a day or two before the meeting, so I felt like complete garbage, and everyone still came to my house while they forced their way into my house <laughs> to still have the meeting while I was not feeling good, which I was happy about. Yeah. But yeah, the whole thing is, is a little bit murky for me. Don't worry. I skipped it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't get a choice. <laughs> oh, well. Uh there is actually a new book that I have heard is fantastic. I have not read it yet, but it follows this kind of a theme. And it's called Outlawed by Anna North. Okay. And it, it's supposed to be about like a group. It's the same sort of idea as what the hell's that book called? The Handmaid's Tale. Yes. And yeah, I don't know. Check it out. I think you'd like it. I might because apparently I like the books where women are enslaved. This one is one of the women is, it's basically like witchcraft. You're a witch if you can't give birth. <laughs> and like you have a certain number of years to get pregnant and give birth. Otherwise you're slotted in as a witch and maybe it's a witch. I don't know, but it's like you're one of the bad ones who can't give birth. And I guess that she like runs away and goes to like this commune of other people who can't give birth and they're outlaws. It sounds like kind of a Wild Westy sort of a story. I don't know, but it sounds... <laughs> that sounds like a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> yes. Well, you read it and tell me about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's on my list of read before, Shanna. <laughs> <laughs> on, your, on your list of books I've told you to read. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next. Girl's life changes because of a boy. <sighs> so the more time I spend thinking about this one, the more that a feminist double standard in myself is showing... And I don't like it. I realized that reversed, I don't mind this trope so much. Because obviously a wonderful woman can come in and change a man's life. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, this might also just be a ton of internalized misogyny. Who knows? Probably a therapist. <laughs> but so why is it a problem the other way around? I think maybe it's not. But... It's only not when the female character is a real person and not a weird, hollow shell of a woman. 
Yeah, this is so true. And I can definitely think of a few examples where this is a problem. And usually it's that the women are awkward, bumbling, clumsy, and plain looking. And then they are transformed by these hot, successful, perfect men, like Twilight, Mm -hmm. like Fifty Shades of Grey. Really, we know that these are pretty much the same story, but it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. And I love Twilight. I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but just I didn't want to, you know, rag on Twilight like when you I, don't. Yeah, I love it. So, but anyways, I loved it when I read yeah. it. <laughs> I love it. I'm not sure how it would hold up if I reread it, so I'm just not going to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that usually when the tables are turned, the difference is that. The men's lives are changed because the woman loves them so completely. And that's just nice and not offensive at all. Right? I have a hard time telling. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. The first thing that came to mind when I was reading about this trope is the Bechdel test. Hopefully I'm saying that right. I only ever read it. But this is usually applied to films, but it can definitely be used to test books as well. For anyone who hasn't heard of this before, it's basically a set of criteria you can use to measure the representation of women in fiction. If a story doesn't pass the test, it's not a good sign. And the number that fail is honestly really surprising. It shouldn't be, but I, every time I look at the list, I say, what the heck? Yeah, I actually Googled it and looked at the list and was like, oh, that's (laughs) quite a lot. (laughs) So anyways, this is what it is. If a work features at least two women who talk to each other, do they talk to each other about something other than a man? And preferably, both of these women would be named characters to really pass the test. Not everybody applies that, but... To really pass, I think that they should both have names. So the amount of pieces of fiction that have no more than two women that actually talk to each other about something that isn't a man, the fact that anything fails that is startling. Right, because books are long. (laughs) They have tons of time to talk about many different things. Mm -hmm. But I am one of the ones who has never heard of this before. And so this is so interesting. But based on that description, I mean, I can think of quite a few that would fall into this category. And like I said, I did look it up. And And you saw that The Great Gatsby was on there? I didn't, but... (laughs) I mean, is there even more than one woman in that book? I have no idea. I haven't read it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like, I can only think of one, really. (laughs) But, So how does this apply to this trope? I guess it's the fact that often it means that everything in a female character's life revolves around a boy, which then involves talking about said boy thinking about said boy and losing everything that makes her unique outside the realm of this boy. And then, lucky thing, her life gets better than the crap it was before because the boy makes all of her problems disappear. And obviously I'm describing this done badly, but this one feels really closely related to the damsel in distress to me. Yeah, totally. And the damsel in distress can be shown in a lot of different ways, I think. They don't necessarily have to be in like physical distress, which is kind of, I guess, the classic interpretation that we might see in fairy tales. Um, but they can be in distress because of, you know, their boring, humdrum, single lives, mm-hmm. and they need a man to save them from becoming crazy cat ladies. Like, I really love it when a relationship is even and both parties have to do the same amount of work for it. I know I'm a out-of-this-world feminist. <laughs> Nobody can stop me. But 
I don't know. I just think it's sweet when two people fall in love and work hard and then both of their lives change for the better. And I think, once again, it's just a matter of how lazy the storytelling is. Yeah, absolutely. Next, women can only be sympathetic if they're attractive. This one doesn't only apply to women, but once again, due to societal pressures to be attractive, it does seem to be applied to female characters a lot. And I think people across the board have started noticing it recently and going like, hey, wait a minute. This is pretty lazy and gets the wrong message across, especially since, unfortunately, you see it in a lot of children's books. Things like a character's weight or physical characteristics like a crooked or a large nose. Albinism is a popular one. Um, And really anything outside of what would be considered normal. These are used as shortcuts to say, this person is bad, creating this connection between people's outward appearance and their morality over and over and over again will lead to unconscious biases against people who are different. And that's a problem. You're smart. I don't need to go into why this trope needs to get the heck out of my stories already. Yes, this is definitely something that is starting to get better. And it's really too bad because it is seen in a lot of children's stories, which is rendering a lot of the stories we grew up with to be completely inappropriate. And I mean, luckily, there are tons of really great modern inclusive stories out there now. But it's really sad that we are losing out on that nostalgia of sharing with our kids what we grew up with. Yeah, man, sometimes I'm halfway through something and I'm like, oh, how am I gonna... (laughs) Thank goodness he can't read along with me because this story (laughs) is changing. Yeah, right. So the next one kind of, I think, falls into some of the other categories really well, but it's plain Jane who gets her man. Yeah, this is definitely in the same vein as the last one. Because once again, a woman's worth and character is decided based on her appearance. Yeah, this was definitely a trend. And yeah, like we said, closely connected with the other ones. And it does drive me absolutely nuts. I hate that every woman or girl is described as being plain when they aren't the obvious love interest or if they have any kind of intellectual or physical advantage. It's one thing for characters to describe themselves that way because I think that can be realistic. Women and girls are especially hard on themselves. But when the narrator or other characters in the book describe them that way, And then the story becomes that it is so amazing that she managed to snag a man based on just her personality alone. Gross. Gross. (laughs) I mean, or even worse, plain Jane gets a makeover and is suddenly worthy of attention, which was such a huge trend in movies when I was younger. And I really enjoyed them then. (laughs) But now I just get so angry and wish that I didn't suggest watching it with my teenage daughter because. It is not a message that I'm wanting to portray to her at all. No. I mean, I pretty much have to write off anything made in the 90s. Yeah, a lot of stuff has not aged well. And I do like that this trope has recently started being turned on its head. A lot of books are being released now where the main characters are real people. Plus size women, or at least people wearing above a double zero, can be main characters. Uh, Not white women are the stars of more and more books. We, as in white women, have plenty of representation. It's fine. We can share. Uh, So it's nice to see more faces and body types showing up. And this is definitely one of those tropes that I only hate when it's done poorly 
or extremely sexist, like in the case of all the movies. Plain Jane at least leaves the door open to her having more interesting parts to her personality beyond her face and body. I think the problem is when so much emphasis is put on how much of a shame it is that she couldn't be all of those things and the perfect 10. Women are great and complex and, I mean, yeah, beautiful women are lovely, but people should also have substance. And I guess it's a problem when you have to choose beauty or personality. Because again, you can't be more than one thing. No. 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 And you know, it's actually, you know when beautiful women end up actually being kind of cool too? Yeah. And it's shocking. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay, I haven't read Bridget Jones's Diary by Helen Fielding yet. Me either. And I will shock you here. I also haven't seen the movie. I'm not shocked. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) But I do plan on reading it this year because I love the movies, obviously. But I suppose it would fall into this trope. But I feel a little bit better about it because Bridget is not a teenage girl, which is often the case. And I think she encompasses a lot of female tropes in a really comedic way that is actually funny. And we'll see how it comes across in the writing, though. How much of this is just that we're old moms that (laughs) (laughs) don't want our daughters to get the wrong idea? Probably quite a lot of it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Speaking of real women who are funny, I was going to mention a book that I really enjoyed from last year. Ali Wong, the comedian, has a book out called Dear Girls, and I really enjoyed it. I listened to it on audio, and she reads it, so that was also great. And it's basically her writing letters to her daughters, and in them she's very real about who she is and who she was and what being a mother has been like for her. And she also talks a lot about her parents and growing up. I don't know, I really liked it. She is funny, of course. But it's also very raw and very real. And I thought it was a great example of what being a mother and a woman can actually be like. Like, actually. (laughs) Actually. Uh, Yeah, she's (laughs) hilarious. So I would love to read that. Or probably I'd love to listen to that. It was very good on audio. I definitely recommend it that way. Okay. Yeah, but you may be noticing a theme here that poorly written women are the problem in each of these tropes. More so than the actual idea itself. Women are so often portrayed as a stereotype and a cliche, and that makes reading them kind of annoying a lot of the time. Yeah, I think cliches are used so often and applied to female characters because it's easy. Stereotyping anyone isn't great, and women are already criticized constantly. So being put into these boxes isn't helping anyone, and it isn't good storytelling. I heard a line recently that really stuck out to me in Priest Daddy by Patricia Lockwood, and I really, really liked it. She was talking about priests and how there are never any women around. And the line was, if you are not friends with women, they are theoretical to you. Wow. Yeah, that one made me stop and go, ah, yep, that's it. Right there. I think that even as women, we often fall victim to this by not having other women around us. I've read so many awful women tropes and not noticed them because women. Am I right? (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Yeah. It's only been in the last few years that I've started to really notice the problem. Yeah, I I love that line. And you can replace women 
in that line with any marginalized group, and it will be completely true. And I can see how easily people can fall into that way of thinking. It's just so important to be aware of it, though. So, yeah, women are great, and people should write them better. (laughs) Yes. Yes, please. I have noticed, and maybe it's not super new, but I think so much more emphasis is being put on reading women and noticing that these tropes are happening and fixing them in all sorts of genres. And I think like a few years ago when I started deciding to read more critically and intentionally pick up more books written by women, the women in my stories started getting better. So now it's a really stark contrast when I pick one up that has just these hollow, terrible, cutout, just Ugh. Ugh. Not real women. Yeah, it's interesting when I pick up maybe even books that like I've read in the past and I just didn't I didn't even notice it. And now I'm thinking, man, like as a woman, I feel ashamed that I, I it was just the norm, I guess, right? Yeah. Um but now now it is getting a lot better and I I actually I don't notice these tropes done badly as often. Yeah, and I just wonder if that's what we're choosing to pick up. Yeah, that's quite possible, really. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely reading more intentionally and more critically. And I'm picking up books pretty much mostly knowing that they're going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And where we put our reading dollars counts. Yeah. So if we buy more women and we read more well-written women, we will get more. So so buy more women. <laughs> take that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Uh, okay, that's it. That's all we have for you. Are there any tropes that you listeners particularly love or hate in regards to women? Let us know. Yeah, I want to hear about them. Because yeah, like I said, there's literally hundreds. So if there's more interesting ones than the ones we talked about today, tell me. Yeah. All right, I'm going to remind everybody about this month's book club book. It is The Radium Girls by Kate Moore. So if you haven't started it, start it. I am reading it and I'm telling you, you're going to want to read this one. It's been very good. I can't wait to start it. Oh, yeah. I keep not telling you anything because I <laughs> I want to see your face. Yeah. <laughs> Should we do like a live reaction uh, or something? I mean, I'm pretty sure you will message me when you get to the first oh part. Oh my God. So. I'm so nervous <laughs> and excited so excited. Yeah, it is. It's something. And then next week, we are going to be talking about the Women's Prize for Fiction. Oh, I'm so excited. I want to see. Oh, me too. So the long list for it is being announced today. So we are really excited to see which books made the list. And then we'll be back next week to tell you all about them. Yeah, since some of my favorite books have apparently been Women's Prize nominees and winners this is a list I want to actually pay attention to. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited to hear what books are on there. Any chance Madeline Miller is just going to like surprise have a book on there for me? (laughs) No, Um, none at all. Think no, but that would be a really great surprise. Crushing my dreams. Well, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want, you can email us at best underscore book club at outlook.com. Oh, and, you know, if you're feeling extra generous, maybe rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. That would be 
So helpful. That would be very great, especially if it's a good review. Yes. (laughs) Good reviews only, please. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you next week. Yeah. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Did somebody start a movie in your house or did I just have a stroke?